you. So let's pray uh, for our returning pilgrims and all of our pilgrimages to come. Holy God, we give thanks for the gift of your creation, for holy places and holy people. As we hear from our own beloved community of journeys of the feet and of the heart that we have been on, may we come to know of your loving purposes for our journey onward. For your grace and your light that we might find in each person, stranger and friend today and in all the days to come. Amen. So welcome to this forum. I want you to look closely at this photograph behind me. Should you need to pick them out of a police lineup, those are our pilgrims <laughs> from 2019. We counted them in and we counted them out again and we made it through all the way um, on this wonderful journey we've been together. But I want you to look at those faces and there may be people that you know. Um, of course, many of them are in the room today. Some couldn't be here. Um, if you have any inkling that a journey might be in your future, whether that is joining the pilgrimage in 2020, we'll do the very same pilgrimage with a few tweaks um, in 2020, this time next year, then please do. You've got some expert witnesses in the room and if you happen to particularly know one of these individuals, then chat with them about it. But not only the Holy Land, but uh, any kind of experience that you may be looking forward to uh, of going on an intentional journey, uh, thinking of pilgrimage as a journey uh, of the body, but also of the heart, an outward journey and an inward journey. It is um, very hard. It's been very hard. I know that a lot of my fellow pilgrims have been trying to sort through, get from 2,000 pictures to whatever it happens to be, whatever the total number was, to somehow capture uh, the breadth and depth of this experience. And uh, if you have been on a similar such journey of the heart, you'll know that it can take days to weeks to months and maybe even years to let it all sort of settle in and find its home in us. So I'm going to share some images um, and some thoughts, and you're going to also hear some uh, from some of the pilgrims here of their personal experiences of pilgrimage, and I hope it will um, be an encouragement to you to live out a life of pilgrimage here in this city. This Rector's uh, Forum series for this year is uh, part of our, our sort of expression of being in the city for the city, uh, that we go on this pilgrimage not only because of the richness that it has offered us on that journey, but to come back and offer something to this city and to, to make this community in many ways it already is, a pilgrim's house, a, a, a community that people come and stay for many years, for decades, or maybe sometimes they come to just once. And how can we make that experience through our openness of our hearts and what we have to offer in our resources a time of pilgrimage for them? So here we go. The fundamental um, message for me of this pilgrimage experience has been that we were a community on the road, um, literally. Uh, we would say prayers on the bus, which is often the, you've got your captive audience there. Um, <laughs> and it's amazing how spacious it can be 
simply to have prayer and silence when you're traveling on a journey. Um, if any of you have traveled to the Middle East or places like it, you know that it is tough. I mean, it's actually fairly easy, oddly enough, to, to, to find a space away from the people that actually live there. But the 3,000 people that are coming to visit the holy site that you're at at that moment, they're the hard ones to avoid. It can be difficult to find a quiet time away. And so we formed our community as and when we could. Not surprisingly, if you're looking for folks from All Saints at about 5 o'clock in the evening, head to the hotel bar, <laughs> and there they are. I mean, <laughs> what can you say? But they were there. Um, we formed community as we, as we do back here at home in, in by enjoying one another's company. And we formed community on the bus. And when we found an opening for a time of prayer or for a time of reflection or to learn, we would we'd find it in those places. And we'd find time alone also. Um, so community on the road, finding our common ground. Um, I'm not going to talk about every picture because that will feel a bit like I'm showing you my uh, vacation slides. But um, I will notice that this picture on the left here, this image, is of the, the Sea of Galilee is in the background. And that was one of those experiences of looking for a place apart from this rush of pilgrims. And we managed to find these rocks. Um, and we'd had a, this is part of a day-long Eucharist that we had that began on the boat, crossing the Sea of Galilee, continued here. This was the, if you like, the liturgy of the word. There was a, a reading and a, a, a homily, a little meditation. And we concluded that service again on the banks of the Galilee, uh, in the, on the, the grounds of our hotel, this beautiful hotel overlooking uh, Lake, uh, the Sea of Galilee. So you can see that we, um, there are many, many pictures of us um, finding common ground together. Um, sometimes in surprising ways. I love the Jordanian bagpiper. That's a whole other story. Um, sometimes in ways just building on friendships that we already have or, or deepening new ones. Exploring the new, as you can see there. <laughs> I did promise that there'd be no incriminating photographs, but incriminating and embarrassing are two different words. Um, you can see there that we've got some, this is the, this is the treasury, outside the treasury in uh, Petra, um, where they shot Indiana Jones. And I guess the spirit just picked up a residence in you. So we had a few of our saints on camels um, or being kissed by a camel. And that, that I, I was the one person that gave myself permission to show pictures of us near the Dead Sea with mud on our bodies. Because um, I liked this job, I wanted to keep it. So I didn't put in any other pictures in there, but lots of new experiences for us. And uh, we found our place in history. I've got to say, Chuck, this is one of my favorite pictures of the whole, of all the collection. Perfectly made for, for a man of your size. Uh, <laughs> we found him there the next day and said he had to leave. But um, <laughs> actually, that was from a day of, um, in, uh, and we'll get to the, that, that slide, but uh, Jarash. Um, or Gerasa, which is its ancient name, one of the most well-preserved ancient sites in the world in Jordan. And it was quite something to see quite how well. And we'd ask the guides, well, how, you know, didn't somebody notice this? You know, <laughs> well, how did this not only get discovered most recently, really after the 1970s, that it really become a place for people to, to visit? And it just shows you how people will live, a s live alongside um, antiquity in their everyday lives. One of my favorite parts of this is that kids, I'm assuming local kids, were playing soccer against these centuries-old ruins. And you can imagine the, 
people from who work for preservation societies here in this part of the world think, what are you doing? For them, it was a really good set of goalposts. Um, so lots of um, trying to absorb, learning, and looking. Perhaps this one of the most important things, finding one another. Um, you'll see here, there's a, a little bit later on, but you'll see there's ways in which we form community. On the left-hand side and on the top right is our images from Bethany beyond the Jordan, which is the Jordanian side, uh, the site of Jesus' baptism in the River Jordan. You see that Martha Eskew here has either a very interesting headgear. That was the wind on the top of Mount Nebo, uh, where, G where Moses looked out to see the promised land. And lots of meals together. Um, I know all of us coming back were disappointed with breakfast. We had to be. Uh, because breakfast in our hotels was an extraordinary uh, feast. So just a wonderful time for us to be together. It is testament to this community that as far as I know, all of us are still friends. Uh, <laughs> at least if there were bust-ups, it wasn't in public. Um, but the sense of community that deepened day by day with the folks that came on and went on this pilgrimage was really a beautiful thing to see as the pastor. You don't want to have to continue work at the pilgrimage after it's over by somehow trying to patch things up with folks who fell out. Um, quite the opposite. I think that what happened to our community on the road um, was an experience of just these deepening bonds of fellowship, uh, which I believe whoops, will lead, uh, will, will, will last for a lifetime. So we went to a place of holy land, lots of holy land, if you like, and holy people, in the sense that this is a, a, a people that had been set apart. That's what that word means, to be holy is to set apart. I like to, when I teach children about the word holiness, I say, well, a holy person is somebody who makes God more visible, more seeable, um, through their life and their actions and their words and just everything about them. And we were among those people, and there's a, a, a friend of mine had been on a, a pilgrimage to the Holy Land years ago now and asked the rabbi who was leading it, well, why did God choose this land? And the rabbi sort of gave this answer, well, because this is the place on the earth closest to hell, um, which is a tough answer on one level, but it was to say, well, if these people repeatedly conquered, living, eking out an existence in places that were not the easiest to, although Israel is a beautiful, abundant table nowadays, but if they can be people that can live out God's uh, promise, if you like, can live out God's covenant to show forth God's ways to the world then perhaps anybody could. And there was a real sense that struck me, particularly in Jerusalem, just how peaceful that city is. Now it's bustling and there's, you know, old Jerusalem is, you know, not for the faint part of this traffic of all sorts in every possible place and there's people. But it's a peaceful city. Um, it's people that have, through many generations, have learned to live with one another and in that way certainly make God more visible. This is the Dome of the Rock, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And we recognized that that's what we were doing, just visiting. There's no pretense here that we somehow now come back with great expertise. We just visited, tried to plant our feet for the time that we were there and take the gift home that we could. But we recognize that this is other people's, uh, other people's homes. And I love the everydayness of this image. It's, a, it's probably one of the most remarkable buildings in the world, I would say. Certainly one of the most iconic. 
And there are people going around, there's somebody pushing a stroller and they're going to and from their, their business. They may be going to and from to pray if they're Muslims. This is the hour that we're allowed in as non-Muslims into the onto the Temple Mount with lots of security. We knew we were just visiting. And in many ways, you do meet the Orient in the sense that uh, that sense of Orientalism, that we kind of create this sense of the exotic other in far off places. And of course, this is a massive tourist industry. Um, and so they know what to do with us when we arrive. You can't quite see this man, but this man does a very good impression of Jack Sparrow from Pirates of the Caribbean. And I think it's, in, I think it's entirely uh, intentional that he does that. That's actually, if you see the treasury, one of the great wonders of the ancient world, and you think, wow. And then you turn to your left and you see the store and all the things for sale and our friend Jack. And it's just, here we are. People trying to make the most of this opportunity economically. But that's the challenge, isn't it? To try to see past the photo op. This is one of uh, David's, I think it's probably my favorite image of the whole, that D David sent this to me yesterday. It's an incredible image. Um, it's because it speaks to me of, gosh, so many things, so many ways in which we struggle to understand Islam and what it's like for women um, who are Islamic and living in that part of the world. And, and it's also an image that says, well, it's just like young folks back at home taking a selfie. Um, um, but how do we see past that and understand? And I think we come home realizing that there's so much more. I come home certainly with a desire to learn more about it, what it's about what it's like to be a to be a people, to be somebody my age or somebody uh, of another age or gender uh, in that part of the world. And of course, we were constantly crossing culture. Some of our pilgrims made their way on Shabbat to the. Uh, the Wailing Wall, and it was, we'll see some images of that later, absolutely packed with people. Um, you can't, I think you can't help, but when you, when you come across, certainly, um, the, the sort of more religiously devout expressions of Judaism, you can't help feeling we come up a little bit short as Presbyterians, or as Christians, just the depth of the practice at home, uh, at, at synagogue, here at the remnants of the temple, um, and of course, if you're going to live that life, there's no better city than Jerusalem to do so. Um, but I love these are different. This is a, you've got uh, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. That's a Christian pilgrim. I think at the church, I think that may have been in Church of Nativity or it was a church. We saw one thing we learned in the Holy Land is if you find a holy site, particularly the Franciscans, am I right remembering that? Franciscans will build a church. Here's a rock where Jesus may have taken a rest. Build a church. Claim it. <laughs> We've got it covered, literally. Um, so, yeah, we saw one or two churches on our pilgrimage. <laughs> there is no escape. <laughs> Roll tide in old Jerusalem. <laughs> now, um, I do look, my kids love stars and bucks. They think that's really inventive. Um, but this is, I've, I've put in those words too close to home, but this is from part of an image that you literally see to the church of the nativity, the place of Jesus' birth, via the escalator, where you'll also see KFC on the same floor um, <laughs> on your way. 
no opportunity missed. But it gives you a sense in which you don't come and see the place where Jesus was born. It's just peaceful, and there are angels singing, and it's just, oh, I can be here for half an hour and meditate. You're, you're living in the midst of an economy that's trying to speak to us. Who knows what they think of America, but that's just as part of it. Um, but there we go. Roll Tide. That's what you're supposed to say, I believe. And people at home in their heritage, so you see here, uh, that was part of the of Shabbat. I love this is one of my favorite images that I took um, of these children running down this. This is uh, Goresh or Goresha running down these ancient steps, just like this is their playground. Um, and perhaps this is a poor image if you blow it up too big, but the children they're literally playing hide and seek amongst the ancient ruins. Something seems right about that to me. And again, I know it may make a little bit, you know, for interest sort of preservation, but their children claiming this land and their heritage, and um, and they've learned how to coexist with it for generations. So partly, I think they they may know how to do that still, um, and we might celebrate that. So let me take you on our journey because I do want to have time for the my other pilgrims to to speak. I'm going to go through some of the images of our journey that will trace the route, not exhaustively, but a lot of it. We began in Tel Aviv, um, which is a beautiful Mediterranean city, like many other beautiful Mediterranean cities. Um, not particularly, in fact, particularly not religious. Uh, a lot of people will come from this country who are of Jewish heritage, but not necessarily practicing their faith, and will come and live here and have a really beautiful life. Um, and this was on the walk to Jaffa, on the first day that I arrived, um, the ancient port city that out of which Tel Aviv grew. Um, and this is Jaffa. Um, the image on the right is a, a sculpture of Jacob uh, wrestling with the angel. Um, and it's as with a number of beautiful old cities in Israel, particularly Jaffa and Jerusalem, had a lot of narrow alleyways where people would have a small store or, or live at just somebody's front door with some sort of shopping on the outside there uh, in the middle of that image. Caesarea Maritima. Um, I know that a number of us shared that when we saw this, you can't really see it here, but you, you see the word Pilate. You think, Angabat, I've heard of him. Pontius Pilate, you realize that this is real. This is an historical artifact. This was where Herod the Great built his a beautiful palace. It's a gorgeous seaport. Uh, and we saw a sort of a marvel of engineering of how he was able to build that all those uh, years ago. Um, and that was the beginning of us getting our historical context. So this was the experience that we probably will remember fondly. We were just sort of doing our best, wandering along towards the site where uh, Mary was visited by the angel Gabriel to say, hey, I got some news for you. Something's going to happen in your life. You're going to give birth to this boy. And lo and behold, about, I don't know how many there were, 300 or something or 50 or 100, a fast-moving group um, of, of young folks from the Far East came, and uh, we had to kind of let them just go through. Um, that was part of the experience, that you just had to literally sometimes go with the flow. Um, we, on our last day, last but one day, we went to uh, the... Um, Calvary and and waiting for waiting for the place where Jesus was crucified was not I mean maybe it's appropriate not the easiest experience because we were sort of crushed there for a good forty five minutes moving nowhere fast um, you do have to get embrace the crowd in a lot of places I love some of the signs 
deeply significant sites and a picture of a little child here, silence, place of prayer. My favorite one was a tr- outside some churches that has a sign that said, no explaining inside. Which I thought was a <laughs> Pat's going to put one of those in front of my office. Uh, as a <laughs> um, so at Canaan, we had a beautiful moment. Again, these snatch moments of, of sharing time together that a number of our pilgrims uh, renewed their marriage vows right there in Canaan, um, which was a, a, a beautiful time together. Um, this remains my favorite place um, because you can look out and imagine, is this what um, Jesus saw? And I think I've got that in the next slide. This is Galilee. Um, that was, I don't remember now, sunrise maybe from the host, from our um, beautiful um, and so that's the question you ask yourself, because if you look out on that, you don't see a lot that would be different, because there's not a lot of, not many structures out there. Um, was this really a view that Jesus saw? It's one of those places on pilgrimage where you can ask yourself that and say, am I looking at the same site 2,000 years ago that Jesus would have looked at? Um, the Man of the Beatitudes, I said that earlier. And this is Mount Hermon. So you've got to go with other people. I can't remember this kind of thing. So Mount Hermon. Gorgeous to see. Hard to, hard to take a good photograph of, but a gorgeous view uh, out in the distance. Um, this really struck me. So many New Testament stories about Jesus take place in Capernaum. A large number do. And this is, uh, this is actually, I think, a Byzantine period synagogue on top of the original synagogue. But you see Peter's house um, that Jesus would have stayed in often. And it is stone's throw, literally, from that synagogue. And you see how compact Capernaum must have been. And we really could, I certainly could bring alive a lot of these stories um, and, and see just the extent of this, this small life um, that, that of in community that Jesus lived before he went on to Jerusalem. So then we crossed the border and went to a very different kind of setting in Jordan. Um, very uh, sort of breathtaking uh, landscape, of course, a desert landscape. This was moving into Geretha or Jerash. Um, and you can see there the, the extent of the, there's been some repair, but how well it is retained is quite remarkable. Uh, some folks who traveled to ancient Greece that shared that this is probably the most well intact um, site of antiquity they'd ever seen. So it's a wonderful experience there. Um, Bethany beyond the Jordan, the place of Jesus' baptism on the Jordanian side. There's a, great, there's a couple of great stories here. So we were um, reaffirming our baptismal vows. You can see that's happening there with, um, with Chuck there uh, in the top image at that site in the morning. And there was another group across the street singing. And then some of our group no- noticed that they had a dove, uh, a white dove. Of course, if you remember in that story of Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit descends as or like a dove upon Jesus, and we thought, well, do you pay extra for the dove package to get that one <laughs> within there? <laughs> they didn't offer us that at the Jordanian side, so uh, we would have done it if we'd been uh, able to. But perhaps one of the moments, the moments of the pilgrimage was this young lady here. I just finished offering, uh, re- uh, blessing each of our pilgrims, and then in the corner of my eye, I saw this, uh, a lady with this bright yellow jacket, and she clearly didn't speak English. I learned that she, or very well, she was from Taiwan. And, uh, and I asked her, would you like to be blessed? And it took us a couple of tries to figure out what we were trying to say. And then I did. And it's just one of those chance moments where another life mixed into ours and we could share that blessing. 
in so many ways, that is the story of pilgrimage, uh, that our lives start to mix with one another and the blessing gets um, increased and enhanced. This is Petra a little bit further on. The actual, the settlement of Petra is literally around that corner. There's not a lot to see of it anymore, but it was an extraordinarily uh, uh, advanced in many ways um, human settlement uh, many centuries ago. Um, that's the image that you get. That's I think maybe some of us pilgrims or some other, not maybe some of us, as you get the first glimpse of the treasury, um, which is just a marvel to behold. Bethlehem. We made that trip um, there into um, Palestinian territory and we got a sense of how difficult it is for Christians to live in that part of the world. Now, we've the, the figure was certainly less than 1% of the local population are now Christian. Um, and if you go to a home of a pilgrim and you find an olive wood-carved uh, <laughs> figurine of Jesus that costs $3,000, well, that's because... We did our best to support the local economy. <laughs> Some of us came out alive. Um, so you go through all of this experience, you're in line, you're being cajoled, and finally you crawl under a table, which is an, an altar, and you put your hand on this star, the place that is believed to be where Jesus was born. And I've got to tell you, it's hard not to feel something. Even though you've been through all of this, and the line and the jostling, you feel something of the presence. Not all of us did, but I certainly did at that moment. Um, one of those, again, those snatched moments, a gift in time. Gethsemane. Uh, Fra Frank is uh, hopefully on his way back from Egypt eventually, but we, we always were looking for Frank. Um, and uh, <laughs> he's I've seen images that he's okay in, the in Egypt, but that's Frank has this beautiful singing voice. What a wonderful thing you also discover in pilgrimage is the gifts that people bring with them. And there we are. I mean, it's not many times you say, well, I got to sing a solo in the Garden of Gethsemane. Check. Um, that was a Eucharist that we shared there. Uh, and you'll see a picture a little bit later on with Della Wells, who had been, who's a former uh, uh, parishioner here and senior warden is now uh, on her way to be ordained as a priest and is a, on a fellowship to, uh, in Jerusalem, has been there several months. That's a large reason why we um, thought of going on this pilgrimage altogether. I do remember, I think somebody said afterwards, so we had the, I think it was you, but actually, um, so I read from a psalm here, I think 84, I can't remember, and I remember somebody saying, is Simon ever going to begin? And we're in this pit together, this place where the hole here, you can see there and there, is where Jesus was lowered down, potentially, but certainly prisoners were, laid, were lowered down, bound, and placed into this pit in Caiaphas's, the high priest's house. So a real sense of that journey towards the Passion. I'm going to speed up a little bit here looking at the clock. Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives. And you'll see there's a number of different graveyards that belong to. There's an uh, Islamic gra graveyard, a, 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 a graveyard for Jews and a small graveyard for Christians. Um, I never tired of that view. It's just one too many photographs. But there you can see Shabbat. Now look at this. Wouldn't want to be an usher trying to count that many people. But... Um, I mean, that's an extraordinary, uh, extraordinary uh, experience of a lifetime to see that in Shabbat in the holy city of Jerusalem. So there's Della and myself, and in between us is the Archbishop of Jerusalem. Um, talk about, I mean, that he must have one of the most unique jobs in 
uh, in global Christianity. Um, we had a wonderful time with him to learn about his ministry and the ministry of the diocese there and the province there. And this is St. George's Cathedral where they were gracious enough to ask me to read and to be part of the service. And we enjoyed some lunch at St. George's College afterwards. So the way of the cross, oh sorry, one of these, the challenge of going on the way of the cross is that there's normally somebody also doing something else. There was, my favorite one was the man that kept on shouting out, I'm trying to offer this meditation and we're listening on little hearing devices and he's saying, t-shirts, t-shirts, uh, if you love me, you'll buy one. We love America. And it's like <laughs> <laughs> Somehow the group managed to meditate on something. I'm not sure what it was, but um, an extraordinary journey that leads to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Um, it's a church within a church, if you like. This is the site. I didn't take any pictures inside. just didn't, didn't want to do that. But this is the site of the empty tomb. And sort of going this way, uh, that's, the that's the crutch. You can see us there. Um, the Nadal's hoping that we'll make it out again uh, behind me there and see um, that in waiting, uh, trying to offer some meditations as we're waiting for our chance to, to see the place where um, the rock cracked as Jesus died. So Dome of the Rock, said that before. Um, extraordinary place, beautiful image. So I want to invite some pilgrims to come forward. Oh, in a moment, but I'm going to quickly. So these are some of the things that we bring back with us. Um, a desire to wade in the water. So many of our pilgrims said they uh, would love to somehow e e express and offer the gifts that they've received in pilgrimage in their own life of ministry. And that's something that they, each of them will discern uh, what they wish to do. A deeper friendship with one another. Um, a sense of where Jesus trod. And uh, an appreciation of other worlds. That's old Jerusalem. And what we share together. That's hard to see, but that's in uh, St. George's, and it says All Saints on the Mila. Oh, nice image of Melissa. And ready for the next adventure, whatever that is, with or without the camel. Um, certainly uh, people feeling well fed. So, Oscar, I wonder if you could come forward and share just a few words about your experience of Galilee. Uh, thank you. Galilee is in the northern part of Israel, and the sea is about nine miles across and uh, 15 miles deep long. And it takes about eight days to walk from Galilee to Jerusalem. Those are things that uh, I've learned from books. I got there that the things that say were going to appear. My background, uh, I, my father, a saint, modern saint, was a small town Baptist preacher, and I went to Kool-Aid very early on. And uh, Jesus, to me, was, uh, was real, and the policies were real and all that, but the image was somewhat ephemeral. I got to Galilee and it's finally described if you look over the lake and you can see where this human Jesus would have seen low hills across the way and mountains on the east 
where he would have walked uh, and walked and walked and preached and preached and preached in synagogues with people following him up to, they say, 5,000 men robes and two fishes stopped and uh, this human uh, was preaching something radical it was the kingdom of God and uh, people clung to hear him whether they saw it or not of course because it turned out he wasn't one of the anointed ones but it's a big thing to me in the whole pilgrimage was thinking about these are places where Jesus was a human. He wasn't a criminal anymore. He wasn't some philosopher or uh, doing uh, Oscars as a human being. He was uh, a revolutionary. He asked Peter, and he's asking us to uh, feed his sheep and treat him right. Missy, she's going to share um, at the beautiful gate on the right-hand side. There you go. Hang on. Um, I was struck. Um, the thing about being a pilgrim is that there's an inner journey and there's an outer journey. And um, I shared my inner journey with my fellow pilgrims while we were there in our last gathering. But um, the outer journey for me what was really important was getting the context of what we read in the New Testament in particular with where we were. And I kind of, I guess, looked at it from a different thing. When we left the Galilee, uh, we took the drive up the bus, and um, our guide was telling us about the volcanic activity that had taken place in the area. And you look across these beautiful hills, and you see these huge boulders um, in the midst of these hills. And what, what struck me was the parable of spreading your seed among the rocks and the tares and the fertile land. And um, when, you, when I looked at it from that context, I realized that intensive agriculture at the time required very careful and um, it, it added a sense to me of care that I probably hadn't picked up before from that parable because, I mean, after all, who's going to throw your seed among the rock? And let me tell you, it's really hard not to throw your seed among the rock if you're in that part of the world. Um, the, the second thing that really got me was I, I, I connected with what I think is a sense of humor that Jesus might have had when we were up at the source of the Jordan, um, which is sort of at the foothills of Mount Hermon, it's the spot um, where Jesus identifies, um, says, who do you say that I am? And some of the disciples say, Elijah and Isaiah or whatever they say. And Peter says, you are the Messiah, you are the Christ. And Jesus affirms Peter as the rock. And upon that rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail upon me. Well, 
what you don't know unless you're there is at that spot is a temple preparing. And in that temple preparing is a access that was referred to as the gates of hell. And when you think of that phrase in that context, you have to kind of wonder whether Peter wasn't railing a little bit earlier about these horrible gates or whether he um, maybe had fallen or tripped or something into the gates of hell. It gave me a personalized connection to that spot in that phrase. Um, the last context thing um, I want to give you is one of space. When we started our, our final march or whatever on the Via Dolorosa, where you start is at um, the, the Church of the Crown of Thorns and also the um, point of Jesus' judgment. And you come into a courtyard and across the street, you know, and the street is being counted, it's a little alley, um, is the Antonia, which is where Pontius Pilate and the Romans hung out. And the area where Jesus was, uh, the flagellation and, and being whipped and, and mocked is in a very small, beautiful little courtyard. And you know in Hollywood when they talk about the judgment of Jesus, it's this huge thing called the pavement. You've got to get Cecil B. DeMille out of your mind. Literally the pavement is um, you can throw, um, I could throw a football and um, I can't throw a football probably more than 10 yards or 20 yards, and you would hit the pavement. It is so small and so compact. And as you continue down the Via Dolorosa, with all the hustle and bustle that goes on in that thing, you realize that this was an everyday mundane event, this execution, and that it, nobody paid it any mind. And it, to me, that made it all that more profound of what arose and came out. And then finally, my favorite picture is the beautiful gates. And from the Garden of Gethsemane down are all of these graves. And you're in the Kidron Valley, and you're two football fields away from the wall, okay? And the beautiful gate, which is like this, is sealed and is not to be opened until the day of judgment. And for all three religions, they have buried their dead all along that valley down there so that when that day comes, they will be there to participate. And it is a really, well, for me, um, it put, it sort of put Michelangelo's last judgment out of the picture. This is what you have to look for. Thank you, Nicole. Okay. Virginia. So I, I made some notes since Simon said don't go over two minutes. Um, <laughs> and also I just want to say some people might think that Oscar and I are in costume, our pilgrimage costume. We thought we were going to play golf today. <laughs> <laughs> um, hope springs eternal. Uh, anyway. Um, let me just say, first of all, that a trip to Israel, to the Holy Land, was not on my bucket list. Um, 
but had I known what an incredible experience it would be, it would have stopped. Um, there were several things that motivated me to go, but what put me over the edge was the desire to feel a stronger sense of community with All Saints, to find a feeling of belonging. The places we visited were amazingly beautiful and awe-inspiring, and at times I felt like I just truly could not get enough of it. But seeing and experiencing them with my fellow saints deepened an already profound experience. Um, the meditations that Simon prepared and the sharing of thoughts and personal stories during the meals or over a glass of wine forged bonds that will be with me forever. It was really a wonderful gift. And my wish and my hope is that this will further the gift and strengthen my ties with all saints and explore a, fa a faith which for me, I confess, is somewhat elusive. So you would be correct if you're wondering why did I need to travel halfway around the world in order to feel in community with my church. I don't know the answer to that, but I'm glad I went. And I would add, don't be like me. I know now more than ever that All Saints is an amazing community. And you don't have to go on a pilgrimage to take advantage of the many opportunities and ministries that All Saints offers right here in our own backyard. A sense of community is a precious gift and surely a path to faith. Thank you. And Stuart's going to bring us home. We really do have two minutes. Yeah, so if you, if you need to go to 1115, I will not be offended if you get up and go to church. Um, so I feel kind of like the after the final rose episode of The Bachelor. Um, <laughs> Ellen and I went on this pilgrimage, but we were kicked off the first episode. Um, <laughs> so um, there, I've I've been rereading um, the the art of pilgrimage, and there's a, so much in that book talks about one aspect of pilgrimage that Ellen and I s uh, really experienced, and that's the ordeal or penance. Um, Ellen got a really bad staph infection. We've been praying for her here and there and everywhere. She is better, just so you know. But we spent, uh, after one full day with the group, we spent the rest of our time in a northern Israeli hospital. Um, and it was really a place where we saw holy people. Um, and I just want to share some of the angels along our path. Um, all of you pilgrims were certainly the angels. Number one uh, being Steve Moreland, who was the doctor with us, who, who wisely advised us to, to go now and get help and um, we'll be forever indebted to him. Um, let's see, there's so many, but um, first of all, the nurse who checked Ellen in a little after midnight um, found a blanket for me and pointed me to the only bench that had three seats so that I could try to get a little bit of sleep. Um, that was the first angel in the hospital that I encountered. And then um, later on, the um, Eventually, what turned out to be our final night, the nurse, one of the nurses arranged for an actual hospital bed to be set up next to Ellen's bed. 
for me to have a real night's sleep. Um, that was the best night's sleep I've, I've had in months. <laughs> um, and then there was also a patient. There were four patients in her room, so there's nothing like HIPAA. Um, and uh, one, of, one of her fellow patients would, um, she had a big support network. She was more local than we were. And she um, would bring me her hospital food. Everyone got called to communal um, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and she started bringing me her tray of food because she had plenty, plenty of food um, from her family. Eventually, she started giving me her food from the outside, which was better, like fruits and um, water bottles and stuff. Anyway, so she was an she was an angel. She also looked after Ellen. Um, and then one night, the second night, when I'd gotten, I guess I'd been up 40 hours straight, um, I got to go to a B&B, &B and the owner of the B&B, &B, I could spend 30 minutes on him, but I can't. Um, he was incredible. He was an Orthodox Jew, and I, not only did he give me bed and breakfast, he gave, when he first saw me, he was pointing, t telling me what a great view I would see the next morning, and the fabulous breakfast, and here's the map to the old town, and all these sites you can see. And when I told him what I was there for and why I was there, he immediately changed gears. He brought me dinner from his leftovers from upstairs. He gave me dinner, breakfast, and sent me away with lunch to take back to the hospital. Um, and he gave me this amazing, very rudimentary education on Orthodox Judaism that I didn't know I needed, but I definitely needed. So um, I'll share more of that with, more of any of it with any of you when I have more time. But there were so many angels, and we made it home, and we're very glad to be here. So that's uh, our time together. Please do chat with pilgrims who will be here, and, um, and I'd gladly uh, chat with any of you, particularly if you're interested in coming on the pilgrimages in 2020. Uh, and Brooke Wyman is also here who can tell you about the, some of the logistics of that. But thank you for being here this morning.